Thank you, band. That was great. Um, thank you all for leading us consistently, and uh, we really uh, we're blessed to have you guys. Uh, like John said, my name is Adam Iglesias. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, not the regular teaching pastor, uh, Josh Causey. He is on a, a few week break, and so we are uh, we're, we're filling in for him. And um, I'm excited to be here, and excited to to fill his shoes. Uh, so. Today, and also, it's exciting, Promotion Sunday. Hopefully some of you parents with new kids in the room um, can relax and um, focus in a little bit. I know it's a, it's, it's a, it's a special Sunday. So kids, welcome to Big, big Church. Uh, hopefully you enjoy this. Um, all right, so today what I'm going to be talking about is, is having an aim in life, um, having a purposeful vision, and, and not to go through life being aimless or having our aim on lower things or the wrong things, non-eternal things. Um, because the reason it's important is obviously is the Bible is very clear that God means for us to aim consciously and at something significant. Um, that we don't drift aimlessly through the day and let our circumstances dictate what we do on a day-to-day basis, but that we aim. That we have a focus on a, on a certain type, a very specific type of purpose. Uh, you know, I, I think about the analogy of dead leaves. I know here in Louisiana, we don't have true seasons, but some of us do, whenever fall comes, have some dead leaves in our backyard. So you think about the idea of dead leaves in the backyard. They're lifeless they're, because they're dead, and um, they, they, there's a lot of movement. They get blown around by the wind, but the wind determines where they are. So there's a lot of movement, but there's no real purpose. There's no real aim. And I think a lot of times we fall into that, Situation, especially here in America where we have very busy schedules. We're very busy, but are we purposed in our life? Do we have a specific aim? Uh, the, the neat thing about this, um, this idea is that no matter where you are in your life, no matter if you're a kid for the first time in, he- in here today, if you're in retirement um, and all throughout that scale, um, that you have a purpose, you, you have a specific purpose, a, a high aim in life, and we don't want to miss that. Uh, so... Uh, we're also going to be talking about if we have an aim, but we tend to uh, maybe veer from it. And then if, if our aim is on something that's kind of not where it should be, something that's not kingdom-focused, that's not ultimately back on Jesus, what do we do about that? Um, so I'm excited to, to talk about that today. So we're going to be in a, in, a, in a few different texts. Let's go ahead and open up to Matthew 6. Uh, I was having a hard time getting three or four points, which I know good pastors do, um, so I don't have that. But I've got a couple chunks of thoughts and then a few points within that. So hopefully y'all can follow along. Um, uh, so Matthew 6, verse, starting in verse 19, uh, the first chunk of thought that I want to talk about is take stock and aim high. And I'll, I'll get into what I mean by that. So let's go ahead and go Matthew 6, starting in verse 19. Uh, do not lay, lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So let's stop there. Uh, so the idea of take stock. So if you're not sure if you have an aim or if you're not sure if you're aiming on the the correct things, the proper things in life, it's good to take stock and think about where is our heart? You know, it says where our heart, where our treasure is, our heart will be also, will be as well. 
Um, so what, what are we, what do we value? What are we thinking about on a consistent basis? And that'll give us a good idea as to what we're aiming, aiming about or aiming on, uh, kind of similar to a budget. Uh, if, if, if you want to have an idea in, in a sense on where your heart is, as far as where you're spending your money, um, you look at the past three to six months of where you've been spending, where you've been spending your money. And a lot of times it gives us an idea of what we're valuing, where we're putting our, our, our value in our heart. So, so we take stock. Now, this is what I'm not saying. Is let's say you, you do this and you say, "All right, Lord, search me. Where, what, have, what have I been thinking about a lot lately?" And let's say it's you have a newborn. And you're like, "Wow, I've been thinking about my kid a lot." Well, you need to think about your kid a lot. That kid needs a lot to, to survive. You know, the, the kid is helpless. And so, um, just because something's on your mind a lot <clears throat> doesn't necessarily mean it's idolatry. Uh, it's it's how we're thinking about those things. So if we had, let's just go with the kids. If you have kids and you're constantly thinking about them, but it's filled with worry, anxiety, fear, um, you wanting to be the source of their security, uh, I, your identity is in them. That's what this is addressing. Uh, not if you are, you have a, a kid or a newborn and you're tending to them a lot, you're wanting to, to shepherd them well. You are thinking about how to disciple them and you're going to the Lord with those things. That's not what this is talking about. So whenever you think about what have I been placing value in, if it's something like kids or even work, you know, my work, for example, work for me used to be a big source of identity, anxiety, fear, uh, security. And the Lord's brought me a long way in that where I still, those, the struggles still creep up, but I still think about work a lot. But it's from a, it's from a different standpoint. It's, it's doing it in excellence. How would I work? If I was here on the new earth where sin wasn't, be, wasn't affecting the world, how would I work and how can I focus on the relationships in my office? Uh, how, can I, how can I do what I do well that brings glory to the Lord? So, so I don't want you to automatically think whenever you're taking stock that just because I'm thinking something outside of just reading scripture or just you know, praise and worship that, I'm doing so, that you're doing something wrong. Think about what, what are you finding value in and how are you thinking about those things? So that's a good first step when we're talking about that having a high aim in life is, is, is take stock and ask the Lord to search you. He knows you much, more, much better than you know ourselves. We are very complex beings. Ask the Lord to search you and reveal motives and reveal your value. So let's go ahead and pick up uh, still in Matthew 6 uh, in verses 25. So verses 23 through 24 talks about the eye is the lamp of the body and you can't serve two masters. So we're going to pick up in verse 25. 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive, and, which is alive, which today is alive, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will He not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, "What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear?" For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So seek first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness. That is a high aim. Whenever we, whenever we talk about the kingdom of God, we talk about a lot here. What the kingdom of God is, is it's God's kingly rule. It's his reign, his action, 
his lordship and his sovereign governance. Uh, so that is our high aim, is seeking the kingdom of God. So what it's saying, and what I, what I gather from this, is configure your life so that what you are genuinely doing is aiming at the highest possible good. And we as believers, we know what our highest possible good it's Jesus. It is the kingdom of God. So configure our, our life that way. Walking in relationship with him. Bringing glory to him. Configure our life that way. Now, Jesus isn't saying right here is that eating and clothing ourselves aren't important. You don't see him say that. He says, I know you need these things. Um, and he does this. He said, I know you need these things. And this is for what I do for creation. And so what we can take away is that when we're seeking the kingdom of God and his high aim, that these things become less urgent, that they, they're not less valuable, but they're less urgent from a day-to-day basis, that whenever we make those, those things, such as eating, or you fill in the blank wherever you are in life, those things that have value but should be our high aim, when those things become our, our aim and our purpose in life, we're missing it. We're missing the point. That's where that anxious and worry, because that's your goal. And if, the goal, if your aim, you know, if you have a day where you're finding a hard time providing, that's your aim, your aim's gone. So what's there left to strive for? We know that we strive for Jesus and that he is never gone. So uh, it's saying that whenever our life, our life will be much more abundant from a kingdom standpoint when that's our focus rather than aiming on non-eternal things. So aim high. Now, before I move on to the next point, um, a few weeks ago, Josh, was, uh, Josh talked about suffering. <clears throat> and then last week, Taylor did such a good job uh, talking about suffering as well. Josh talked about the why some of the why behind suffering, and then Taylor talked about the what. You know, what should we do in the midst of suffering? And so I think whenever we think about this idea of aim and suffering, it's important because aiming high, it helps us order our life. It helps us create order and purpose because, in a sense, it helps us build our ark for whenever the flood hits. Because like Taylor and what Josh said, it's not a matter of if suffering happens, it's when. And so... Whenever we aim high, the suffering almost, be, it, it's worth it. It's worth to press on because we know we're, whenever we're aiming high, we're looking at, that's our stability. That's our purpose. And so aim high, and whenever you aim high, suffering is worth it. Whenever, it's, whenever your aim's happiness or comfort or something other, something other than that that's earthly, whenever that's our focus, what happens when that goes away? What happens whenever that, 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 that peace crumbles? Um, you know, we look at Jesus and we look at Paul. They were relentless in their aim. And man, they suffered. We know Jesus suffered. Paul suffered. The disciples suffered. We see, we see evidence of suffering all throughout the Bible. And those that had a high aim suffered well. They were relentless. And that's what I want, you know, myself. I've had a, a life where I've had a, a, a little bit of suffering, but not much. I look around and see some of the things that are going on in this church and then beyond. So many of you are suffering well. And the reason I know that is y'all are going for it. There have been sickness personally, family, death, relationship struggles. Man, there's some true suffering going on. But y'all, y'all, you challenge me because you have a higher aim. And the, the, whenever the, those things crumble, you have your eyes set high. So I'm, uh, I'm extremely encouraged. So that, that's kind of a, a side thought that was stirring in me whenever Josh preached a few weeks ago and then Taylor last week. So take stock and aim high. That's kind of the first chunk of thought. The next chunk of thought, what I want to talk about, is focus, distraction, and living in the present. So we're going to stay in Matthew 6.25, but uh, building off of verses 25 through 23 again, is Jesus is calling attention to nature here. 
mindfulness and pay, paying attention can be the foundation to peace. Uh, so when Jesus calls his disciples not to worry, he started by having them pay attention. He's saying, look at the birds of the air. Look at the lilies of the field. Stop and pay attention to what I'm doing, to my, to my sovereignty in, in, in nature and in life. Because there's a lot of chaos in the world. But the, the Lord is bringing order to so much of that and has continued to bring order to so much of that. So by paying attention to the fact that since the beginning of time, creatures have been provided for, Jesus' disciples could use their mind to extrapolate their own situation. So as we're looking to, to, to aim, it's, it's good to just sometimes slow down and look around and be reminded of the Lord's sovereignty in, in your life and, and with creation. <clears throat> so that's in Matthew 6. Uh, so staying in the same chunk of thought with focus, distracting, living in the present. Uh, let's go ahead and turn to Matthew 14. Go uh, a few pages over to Matthew 14, starting in verse 22. All right, so where we're picking up right here is Jesus had just fed the 5,000. And we're picking up in verse 22 where where this is the story of Jesus walking on the water. Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. While he dismissed the crowds, while he dismissed the crowds, and after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on a mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It's a ghost, and they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I, don't be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and out of his hand, uh, sorry, and began to sink, and he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And we got into the boat, the wind seized, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. So again, uh, Jesus had just fed the 5,000, so you can imagine the disciples were uh, in a bit, on a bit of a high here. Uh, Jesus sent them out on a lake in a boat while Jesus dismissed the crowds. Um, by the time verse 26 happened, uh, they're probably a couple miles out. Again, water started getting choppy, uh, wind was beating the boat. And uh, they started getting pretty worried. So Jesus gets out and walks on water towards them. And initially they thought it was a ghost or an evil spirit. And so they were, uh, they were scared. And so Jesus spoke up and said, it is I. And then you see verse 28 and 29. Peter wants to move based on the firmness of Jesus' word. He says, Jesus, tell me to come to you and I will. And uh, so right here we see Jesus, uh, Peter placing his faith into the word of Jesus. So he gets out and his initial focus is Jesus. And so he gets out and he starts walking on water. But then, for those of us who grew up in a church, we, we, we all know about verse, verse 30, and that he saw the wind. And so initially he was looking at Jesus, and then he looked and saw the wind. And I think what, what we can gather there is what we aim at determines so much of what we see. His, his initial aim was Jesus, so that's what he was seeing. But his lack of faith kicked in, his fear, his being distracted by circumstances kicked in, and that's where his focus was, and that's where he began to sink. To sink. Um, now there's a video I want to show y'all. Who's pumped about a video? Huh? I'm excited about it. There's a video that I want to show y'all that it's an experiment. Um, and it, it's, uh, you're going to see two teams on screen, a team with white shirts and a team with black shirts. And I want y'all to try to count the number of times the team with white shirts bounces the ball to each other. Uh, if you've seen this, don't give the answer. Um, but that's what you're going to try to do. Count how many times the team with white shirts bounces the ball to each other. Chris, we ready? All right, go ahead. 
Count how many times the players wearing white pass the ball. The correct answer is 16 passes. Did you spot the gorilla? <laughs> For people who haven't seen or heard about a video like this before, about half missed the gorilla. If you knew about the gorilla, you probably saw it. But did you notice the curtain changing color or the player on the black team leaving the game? Let's rewind and watch it again. Here comes the gorilla, and there goes a player, and the curtain is changing from red to gold. <laughs> When you're looking for a gorilla, you often miss other unexpected events. And that's the monkey business illusion. All right. Is that crazy? I missed it the first time I saw it. Uh, raise your hand if you missed the gorilla. That's crazy. Over half. Raise your hand if you missed the player leaving the game and the curtain changing as well. That's crazy. All right. So uh, a guy named Daniel Simons, you saw at the bottom, uh, conducted this experiment. He was an experimental psychologist. And, uh, yeah, over uh, – it's uh, just nuts. All right. So what we can gather from that. So I went to grad school for exercise physiology, so I like to call myself a doctor. Um, I didn't say I finished grad school. I said I went to grad school. Uh, but I, I get kind of nerdy with this stuff, but vision is extremely expensive from a physiological standpoint and a neurological standpoint. Your retina, which is the portion of the, your eye in the back of your eye that picks up light and starts to create images, uh, that's what that is. There's a part of your retina, it's a very, very small part that's called your fovea. And what fovea is, stay with me, is, is it's, the, it's the high resolution part of your eye that does things such as identify faces, Uh, such, uh, identify faces responsible for reading. So it's that part that's responsible for sharp focus. Uh, each fovea, so we've got the retina, then we've got fovea. Each fovea cell needs an additional 10,000 cells in the visual cortex to manage the first step of a multi-stage process of seeing. Then each of those 10,000 need an additional 10,000 to move on to stage two. So you see there's a lot going on physiologically in order, in order for us to focus on something. Now, If all of our fovea, if, if, if our retina was comp composed of nothing but fovea cells, our, our brains would have to be the size of, you know, like Alien in, in the movie Alien. It would have to be huge. But they're not that big. And so what we have to do is we have to, uh, we have to focus on very specific things. We cannot focus on everything. So in, in consequence, we triage. The majority of our vision is, is, is low resolution. It's peripheral. And so we, we, we don't see a lot of things. Uh, so we save the, pho the phobia for things of importance. We point our high-resolution capabilities at things that we're aiming at, and we let everything else fade in the, in the background. Uh, that's how we deal with a complex world. The, the, there's so much going on that it'd be overwhelming for us to focus on everything. So we have to focus on the important things that we find important. 
the eighth in the, in, the, uh, in the video, it didn't interfere with the ball. So it was of no importance, so it could be safely be ignored. And that's how we deal with the over, overwhelming complexity of the, of, of the world, is you, uh, you ignore almost everything outside your aim. You literally see things that you are aiming towards. There's also something uh, that my dad always talked about growing up was called the reticular activating system. That's a part of your brain that focuses on things of value. And it lets everything else out. You know, I used the example a few years ago. I bought a Toyota Tundra, a white Toyota Tundra. I had no clue how many white Toyota Tundras were on the road until I bought one. I'm sure a lot of y'all can identify that y'all didn't, I mean, they were still there, but that truck had value to me. And so that's why I started seeing it everywhere. And so we must shepherd our limited resources carefully. Seeing is difficult, so we must choose to see and what to let go. Now, fortunately, that problem contains the seed of solution. Since you've ignored so much, there's plenty of possibility where we haven't looked yet. Uh, there's a, 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 few of us, uh, a few of us guys that get together. We're reading a book right now by a, a psychologist. And I uh, thank you guys. that They uh, helped me bounce a lot of these thoughts off of them uh, whenever I was preparing for this sermon. Um, but uh, whenever I read that, that, since you've ignored so much, there's plenty of possibility where you haven't looked. A few scriptures came to mind about the harvest is plenty, but the workers are few. Uh, that there's so much opportunity in front of us kingdom-wise um, that the Lord sets in front of us that a lot of times we miss. So the harvest is plenty. Renewing our mind daily, but not be conformed to the patterns of the world. That scripture came to mind. Um, so the beautiful part of that, about that is we talked about this before, is God doesn't need us to accomplish his mission, but he chooses to. He chooses to use us because he loves us and desires to be in relationship with us. So there's so much in front of us that we miss on a day-to-day basis uh, that a lot of times our aim will determine that. So look and pay attention to what's going on around us. So back to Matthew 14. Peter saw the wind and started sinking. So when we think about this idea of the discipline of aiming, and really with most disciplines, you're learning to increasingly ignore things that don't accomplish that aim. You're you're training yourself to ignore things that don't accomplish that aim. And because, again, vision, vision is costly, but wavering from our vision is costly as well. We see that with Peter. That it can be extremely costly to waver from our from our uh, from our aim as well. Now we see in verses thirty through thirty three. I love how this ends, and this is where we see the grace of Jesus. So look at verses thirty through thirty three again. But he saw the wind, talking about Peter, and he was afraid, and he began to sink and cry out, "Lord, save me!" Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying, "Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt?" And when they got into the boat, and the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. So, raise your hand if you've ever jumped in water. Okay, everybody, yeah. You go down fast. I don't think you, whenever you jump in water, you don't have a lot of time to talk and say something. But we see here that, that Peter sunk slowly. Um, and Jesus allowed to. Uh, so we don't, his sinking produced a cry to Jesus. And I think a lot, and so what it did is it, it helped him to stop looking at the world and himself as a source of truth and instead cry out to the Savior. And whenever he did, Jesus pulled him back up. So I think the lesson here is that Jesus' Jesus's word, his aim and his purpose in our life is truer and stronger than what we see or feel. And when we doubt that, he sometimes let us sink to refocus. He lets us sink but not drown. And he immediately reaches hand out. So there's such grace. And, you know, if, if, we, if we think about this and you start beating yourself up, um, look, that's fine. But move past that. Jesus' hand is out and saying, look, let's, let's refocus this. I'm here for you. And that's in everything in life, not just whenever you're establishing aim and a value in life. And then verse 33, I think that's so great, is that verse 33, and those in the boat worshiped him, saying, truly you are the son of God. 
They got into the boat, the wind stopped, and they were able to see Jesus for who he was. The ESV study Bible said that's the only time in the book of Matthew where, the, where his disciples addressed him as a son of God. So they're able to say, see who he truly was in that moment. So, so our focus, our distraction, and what we're looking at on a day-to-day basis, it, 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 it's influenced so much by our aim. And uh, so that's that, that last chunk of thought that I wanted to talk about. Now, as I finish here, I want to talk about the so, so now what? What do we do with this? What do we do if we're aimless? What if we don't know if we're aiming on anything or if, we're, or if our aiming is not kingdom-focused? There's, there's three things that I, I, I want to wrap up with. <clears throat> and the first thing is that realize that you're not alone in this. Uh, a few weeks ago, we had our summer community groups, and one of the lessons, um, Josh went through First Thessalonians on admonishing the idol. Um, admonish those that are, that are not moving, that are complacent, that ultimately don't have an aim and aren't, 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 uh, don't have a high aim. And so it's a normal Christian season and experiment, so we can push each other, toward, each other towards a godly aim. That's the importance of community. If you've been around here for any amount of time, you know that we, we value community because the, the, the Bible values community. So we're able to be in this together. And in those times of, that we don't have purpose or that we feel like we're drifting through life, um, we have each other to, to, to push us along. So realize that you're not alone. Second is put the word of God over your feelings. Uh, I think it was C.J. Mahaney, was, uh, I think, maybe not, that might be misquoted, but act your way into a new way of feeling instead of feel your way into a new way of acting. A lot of times we act depending on how we feel. If emotions can be good sometimes, but as we all know, they can be misleading. Take action. Seek the joy of the Lord, and you will be pursuing your strength. So put the word of God over your feelings. And then the third thing I want to hit on is aim low. Now, I know that sounds like I just contradicted everything I, I said. Aiming low. I want to talk about what I mean by that. But first, let me talk about what, that, what, what I'm not going to be talking about. I'm not going to be talking about sin issues here. Uh, I'm not going to be talking about those, those patterns of sin of our life that have been recurring that we need to attack aggressively. And so, again, we're in community with each other. Confession's a big thing. John prayed about it at the beginning. Um, this, isn't, this isn't talking about dealing with sin in our lives. We need to be aggressive and attack sin and bring those in that if, we, if we're constantly falling in the same sin traps. Um, so that's not what I'm talking about. What I am talking about here is aiming low whenever it comes to disciplines, whenever it comes to putting in action from a day-to-day basis. Uh, so if you're saying that I don't know how to aim or I don't know how to begin to set my aim on the, uh, on the Lord, maybe some of you, some of us, aren't aiming low enough. There's something that you could do that, that you're regarding as trivial that you, that you could do that will result in actual progress. But it's not big enough, so we're not lowering ourselves enough to take that opportunity. Humility. Aiming, start by aiming low. Uh, you know, you think about having kids, and if you want your kids to improve, you don't want to set a bar impossibly high to where they're constantly failing. Uh, you know, uh, you, you look at a kid's skill, and you throw something at them that exceeds their level of skill and the probability of a chance of success. I'll use Daniel. Um, what's up, Daniel? Hey, buddy. My little seven-year-old right there. Uh, so I got to coach his first year of coaches pitch last year. Uh, coach's pitch baseball. He went from T-ball hitting off the tee to coach's pitch. It was awesome. Now, if I went out with Daniel in that first practice and started throwing the ball and say, all right, Daniel, I want you to hit three balls to left field, three balls to center field, and three balls to right field. All right, go for it. And start fussing at him and beating him up. Well, not literally, but getting on to him for not, uh, for not hitting that. That would, be, that would be crazy to me because he doesn't have 
uh, he does, I need to be aiming lower because he doesn't have the skill set to get there yet. So we have to start with his stance. We have to start with what keeping your eye on the ball means. So there's, there's things that a lot of times we shoot for that we need to be aiming lower. And then Allie, I'll use her as an example because that's my middle child and your first day in here. Middle children stick together. I'm a middle child as well. Uh, she's in gymnastics. And so she's been practicing her cartwheel. She's been doing awesome. If, and she also has this little foam balance beam. If I were to try to teach her how to do cartwheel starting off on that balance beam, again, that wouldn't be wise of me. We need to give them a pro- shoot higher than where they are, but give a, a good probability of success. And so maybe we're not aiming low enough. So let's use, I'll use an easy example. Of, I know a lot of us struggle to get into to the scriptures on a consistent basis. And so a lot of times the new year roll around, roll around and we say, all right, and this works for somebody, for some people. You know, I, I, I mess with Cody, Cody Smith. He's, he's an extremist. It's a lot easier for him to lose 15 pounds in a month than it is to lose three or four pounds in a month. And so some people like to just go all out. And that works for some people. But a lot of times, a lot of us aren't wired that way. So you take reading scripture, for example. Um, let's say, again, you're struggling. New year comes around. You say, all right, I'm going to read the Bible in a year. I'm going to get on a Bible in a year plan. It's a great thing to do. But if it's, if it's something you're struggling on and you can consistently try and fail at, maybe it's good to aim the bar lower. And I'm talking low. So if it's something that you just, you've struggled for years and years and years on, maybe start out by getting the Bible out off your shelf and just put it on your nightstand. And that's it. That's what you do for the first day. Put the Bible on the nightstand. And it sounds trivial, but it's not. And then the next day you say, all right, now I'm just going to bookmark a chapter. I'm going to figure out what I want to read. I'm going to pray about what I, what I want to read and bookmark that. And then the next day, read a paragraph. It doesn't even have to be a full chapter. And then, and then build on that. And so you take a bigger step and a bigger step. And that gets us out of constantly trying and into training that we talk about so much. We need to train ourselves instead of keeping on trying and failing. You know, we use the weightlifting all the time. If you go into the gym the first time and want to squat 400 pounds, it's probably not going to happen. You've got to start with a bar. And that can be, you have to humble yourself to go into the gym and just start so low. But it's, it's necessary in a Christian walk. And you do this for two or three years, that's sanctification. That's that pr- progressive sanctification and us becoming more and more like Jesus. Um, there's a, a, John Piper has a good little paragraph about this um, taking action idea. And so what I don't want to do is go up here and sound like it's, it's a big self-help sermon. And John Piper had a good thing written about this. Um, you know, talking about in my point two, where pursue the joy of the Lord and you'll be pursuing your, your strength. This is what he says about that. So pursue the joy of the Lord and you'll be pursuing your strength. There's a kind of paradox here when you start feeling that strength and that energy. And it is, it is you that feels that energy. When you get up and act, it is you who are getting out of the bed and acting. And yet the Bible says the Lord is your strength. Sometimes you hear people say, God helps those who help themselves. That is kind of a secular effort to express a biblical truth that secular people cannot understand, and therefore they can't say it right. What it is trying to say biblically is God helps the weak and paralyzed and dead to help themselves so that in all their so-called self-help, God will get the glory because all of our self-help turn out to be God-helped. That is what they're trying to say. That is biblical truth. How strong was that paragraph? Is that whenever we get up and we say, all right, I want to establish a name in my life. But sometimes it might take small steps, and I need to get out there and make those steps. The Lord is empowering those efforts. So it's both. It's this beautiful dance that we do between us making a decision and the Lord empowering those efforts. And so, so aim high, and if, if need be, aim low along the way. Aim at Jesus, and then ask him to give you a, spe- a specific aim to use your gifts, your profession, and where you are in life. 
you know, we all have a, a very similar aim here in this church body that, that when we're, all, we're on mission together. It's Jesus. It's the kingdom of God. But all of us have different giftings and different professions and different areas of life. Ask the Lord to start focusing on that. What, what kind of teacher do you truly desire to be in the kingdom of God? What kind of, what kind of boss? What kind of uh, stay-at-home mom? Just whatever it may be. What kind of, um, you know, I'm in retirement. What, what does that look like for me? Ask the Lord to start giving you specifics and how he can use your gifts to accomplish a, a higher aim. So what I want to do here is I want to close out and, and read some of Paul's words in Philippians 3. You know, John did a great job with our prayer time, and so I want to finish with a, an, another Philippian scripture. So Philippians three twelve through 16. You don't have to, I think it's going to be on the, uh, the screen, so you don't have to turn there. So this is Paul talking about straining towards the goal. Not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straying forward to what lies ahead. I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. So in humility, Paul is saying that he still struggles and needs God's grace on a day-to-day basis. But he's presenting himself as one who aims high and continually reaches ahead to see God's kingdom expanded. And I I believe that's what what we all want to do as well. Um, So that's it. Um, Ben, you can go ahead and come on up. Uh, We're going to enter into our response time. And we do things a little bit... uh, So we do four things. Uh, We do a few things. As far as response, and it's up to you on how you want to respond in this time. We're going to have some music going. Um, we're going to have two servers on either side of the aisle that are going to be serving communion. And the type of communion it is, is you're going to take a piece of the bread and you dip it in, into the juice. And the servers we're going to, are going to be saying, the body of Christ broken for you, the blood of Christ poured out for you. So you can do communion here if you'd like. Uh, we have giving stations on the side. Uh, that's how we give uh, our, our tithes and offerings. And also, if you need somebody to pray, we'll have a couple of our, well, John, we'll have our, one of our ministers up here that would be more than willing to pray with you. Um, and then we also have the steps that you can come in here and pray, pray by yourself or with uh, those loved ones around you. Um, so this is our time to respond and to really let sink in what the Lord has put on your heart today. So let me go ahead and close this out, and uh, we'll enter into that time. Father, uh, we just thank you for who you are. We thank you that before we even got here, Lord, um, that you were here, your presence was, was with us, that we didn't have to prepare this room perfectly uh, or do anything to have you fully in this, in this room, Father, that you are everywhere fully at any given time, Father, that we have a creator, a God that desires to be with us. Um, so, Lord, I, I pray that, that we desire to be with you, that we look to you as we're living through our life, that we don't live aimlessly, Father, or, or by default, or let just circumstances what happen, dictate where we are, what we do with our day, Father, but that we have a high aim so that we can know what to say yes to and what to say no to, Father, um, that we are aiming towards you and your glory and walking with you and your kingdom expanding here on earth, Father. We, we, we just thank you for that opportunity, Father. So I love you. Uh, I just pray that we use this time um, to let set in what you brought to us today. We pray this in your name.